Hello. It's Brian. What's going on? <laughs> Brian, that's my, it's my favourite. Of all of the people that come into the science shed, Brian is my favourite. Oh, no, Steve. It's I think nice. you're, a, you're a number one fan. It's nice to be here again, mate. Yeah. Yeah, but a nice day today. What have you been up to today, Brian? I've been fishing. Oh, you've been fishing? What, yeah. Did you catch anything? Yeah, well, this time it's, I'm fishing for not, it's not stickleback. I've got a rod this time. You've got a rod, not sticklebacks. Yeah, don't know what I'm catching, but, you know, crabs. Crabs. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> Maybe they're crab. not crabs. They're little crabs. <laughs> Do they have crabs in Wolverhampton? They're little crabs. Right. And I don't think they should be in the water because they look dead. <laughs> but they're kind of like little, they've got like about 12 little prawns. The prawns. They You've look been like, prawns. Maybe they're wood lice, actually. They look like wood lice. Okay. Been, anyway, been, well, after a long, hard day of catching wood lice down in the in the creek, why don't you come into the science shed? All right. Do you remember? Do you remember what the science shed's about? I think it, what happens, right, is you guys you talk a lot about sciencey things, and I've learnt a lot about. What's stuff been your favourite thing so far, Brian? I think I liked the bit when you were talking about there's the the uh, bloke who was the vet dude. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the super vet. Yeah, he was doing like making robot dogs and things yeah. like that. Did you like to like uh, Nick's uh, Irish accent? He's pretty good. He's, pre- yeah. he's pretty good at accents, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Anyway, right. come in, sit yourself down, and we'll we'll get tell you some more interesting science treats. Right, bring it on. Science we're in the science shed. Science shed. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting, Nick. Hello, Steve. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good man. Um, it's been a while since we've done a proper podcast, hasn't it? We've had a few specials. We've been like dicking about all over the place, and you know it's fun to do that with other people, but really, I think you know. It's, it's, it's most fun just to kind of get back to you to get back to 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 wherever we are today we're in salisbury in your new fl- new house i don't know man i quite enjoyed the cocktail stuff you like i like cocktails? drinking cocktails in the afternoon yeah yeah i don't feel good. like it today but like you know there's some when you don't know someone you can't you can't quite push them a little bit can you You can't really take the piss out of them. yeah of course you can okay that's, yeah you've got to be that, braver man is that why everyone calls you a prick <laughs> is, that, is that what it is <laughs> I hadn't realised, but you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, maybe you should try and be nicer to people. Why? Hmm, maybe they <laughs> might be nice to you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, we are podcasting today from Nick's new house in Salisbury, which is which is it's nice to be here. It's a very very grown up house. Is it Salisbury or Salisbury? Salisbury. I say Salisbury, but maybe Salisbury is correct. I think it's Salisbury. I would pronounce it, but I don't know. You just pronounce it Sal- Salisbury. Did I? Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> you can't trust just what I say. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah, here we are. We're, we're sitting at the dining room table, and we've got, got a load of interesting stuff to get through, haven't we, Steve? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should we get on with it? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple of things, Nick, to talk to you about. One's going to make you an angry, um, and one's kind of interesting. I'm feeling pretty serene this morning. So. Okay, so let's do the interesting one. Right, Nick. Got You're reaching, so Steve's got just reached across the table and he's picked up a flexi, it's a box and it's got a picture of a lamp on the outside, flexi desk lamp. I've got, I've got a little, um, this is actually what I had planned to talk to you about on our one year anniversary special. Oh, and you forgot it. But I left this behind. Okay, so there's something in the box. There's something in the box. We're is it talk her about. pretty little head? <laughs> exactly. Maria? <laughs> I don't know, she's still silence. There. Um, 
so Nick, what? So I'm going to talk to you about something. So what has um, golden syrup got to do with mutagenesis? Um, well, there's two ways I could answer this. Right. I could try and think about it <laughs> yeah. and come up with a plausible answer. Yeah. Or I could just say, I don't know. I can try and deduce. Right. So golden syrup. Yeah. Have, is, you got, have you got a tin of golden syrup? Yeah, this would help if you did. Yeah, we do. We're going to pause the but podcast it's, now. It's interesting because it's... You know that thing with syrup and honey? Sometimes it just goes completely crystallized. We can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so the syrup is crystallized at the moment, okay. but the honey is not. Right. But yeah, they're in the cupboard. All right. Well, we're going to pause the podcast and I'm going to go get it. All right. Okay. So well, Steve's come back. back with the... Um, he's got golden syrup. The, the trouble hand. is, Nick, is because you're a cheap bastard. Like you've just swapped the Sainsbury's one and I wanted the Tate and Lyle one, but it, this still does work. Okay. So in my hand, I've got a bottle of golden syrup, right? And on the back of this, Nick, can you just read to me what it says at the top? Partially inverted refiner's syrup. Well, do you know what that means? No idea. So, do you want me to tell you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Have a guess. So, um, partially inverted. Partially inverted syrup. So, basically, the way you make um, uh, golden syrup is you take sucrose. Yeah. Uh, which is a disaccharide. So, it's like two glucose molecules stuck together. Yeah. And what you do is you can break those down into right. um, glucose and fructose. Oh, yeah. So, it's right. not two glucose. It's a glucose and a fructose yeah. stuck together. Okay. Now, glucose and fructose are chiral molecules. Do you know, what, oh, I don't know about chirality? Yeah, well, I know about this because you get D and L glucose. Yeah. So, they are basically mirror images. So, you cannot superimpose whichever way you twist it, D-glucose onto L-glucose. Yeah. So, the biggest example is your that we know of chirality is your hand. So, if you imagine taking your left and right hand, although they've got both got thumbs and fingers, there's no way to kind of put them on top of each other in a way that they're completely superimposed. Right? You'd have to take someone else's right hand and your right hand to be able to do that. Yeah. They're mirror images. Yeah. So That's chirality. Yeah, so chirality was defined, uh, it's actually Lord Kelvin, they've got this down, right, in 1983, sorry, in 1893. William Thompson. Um, at uh, the Robert Boyle Lecture at Oxford University, he said, he defined the word chirality, which is very important in chemistry, and we're going to talk about it. Right. right. So he said, I call any geometrical figure or groups of points chiral and say that it is chirality and say... You've got your Isaac Newton voice on, by the way, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, okay. This is actually, this is Robert Boyle of Boyle's Laws fame. Um, he said that chirality is its image is in a mirror plane. Uh, ideally realised cannot be brought to coincide with itself. So that's the first time anyone decide to find, to find what that was. So what happens, in, so partially inverted, the, the interesting thing about chiral molecules i.e. your left and your right hand, is when you shine what's called plain polarised light at them, so this is how we know about chiral molecules, um, if they're left-handed molecules, they rotate the plane of polarised light one way, and if they're right-handed, they rotate it the other way. So what partially inverted means is you start off with, um, uh, if you take um, uh, glucose, what's happening is it rotates uh, the light one way, and as it's decomposed into fructose, sorry, as you, uh, you decompose um, the... Um, uh, disaccharide into monosaccharides you're generating you start sort of rotating the plane of polarized like one way so hang on a minute you see so you've got this dice so it's like two smaller things stuck together yeah and then as it breaks into its two separate parts yeah something about the way it rotates the light changes. So when it starts off with two it rotates the light one way one way and then as it breaks down the, into, into its constituent they parts. rotate the light the other way the opposite way oh right okay and so, so when you can when, tell when you could tell by by shining light for it whether it was breaking down or but not. at the point at which if you keep going at the point at which you've made enough of the monosaccharides that rotates the light back to where it started that's called partially inverted 
good. So that's how they make it. That's how they make the so sugar. So I don't understand. So they, so they know at that point the ratio of the amount of monosaccharide to disaccharide because... So they've broken the sugar down into... And they've got to a point where... What? So, 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 so if you just start with all disaccharides, right? Yeah. It rotates the light one way. And then as you increase the amount of monosaccharide, it starts to rotate the light back the way that it that came from. And at the point, they start to cancel each other out. And where they perfectly cancel each other out, that's called partial inverted glucose syrup. But why? Why is it called that? Well, why do they bother? So, at, so when you use it, it's why. So, um, inverted sugar has less chance of crystallization, allegedly, even though <laughs> that the one you've got in front of me is all crystalline. Um, so basically, this is a mixture of um, of sucrose, glucose, and um, and glucose. Did I really say that? Uh, yeah. So it's glucose into fructose. Sorry, it's glucose and fructose. Um, by so they do. It. So, they, so they try and break. So so they start off with sucrose, which they probably get from like sugar cane or a plant or something, right? Exactly. And then they and then they they think, okay, well if we if we put that in syrup, then it would crystallize in people's cupboards. Yeah. So then they think, okay, well we'll break it down into its different bits, and we'll check that's happening by shining some light on it. And when it gets to the right place, then we yeah. know we've got partially inverted syrup. Exactly. And that's <clears> not going to crystallize. But this is bloody crystalline. Because you bought the cheap one. Really? I don't know, but like Tate and Lyle, have you ever seen your Tate and Lyle crystallise? No, never. <laughs> there you go. Well, consumer advice from the science show. Sainsbury's, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna copy you in. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna tweet you to, on this one. To my box, right? So there are some interesting compounds. Oh my compounds. god! I forgot. We're we going to, we're going to my box now. <laughs> we only just got to the got box. to the box. We're talking about chiralities. I'm gonna give, okay. I'm gonna give Nick two things. We need to look at these. Yeah. So I'm giving Nick some, um, some molecular um, models. Yeah. Of compounds, the compounds called carvone is what you're looking at there. Um, so, just to explain to to our listeners, Steve's pulled out of the box um, sort of what you see in science programs when people make like um, little structures out of atoms with the bonds in between them, so the sort yeah. of stick stick models. And it's like a hex. One of the well, they're both like hexagons with like a little triangle sticking out the top of it. Yeah. So. So are they the same? Are they the same? Um, uh, is that exactly the same molecule I've given you? I've given you two there. They're no, the they're not. I mean, I can tell they're not. Well, why are they different? Uh, let's have a go. Because the, this one's been, you've got a bit sticking out towards me here, and then this bit sticking out and that bit sticking away from me, and I can't superimpose them on each other. Yeah, so what I've given you there is I've given so, you... So, I mean, I'm assuming they're the, they are chiral versions. They are chiral. So if you look same. here, this has got two bonds, and this has got three bonds. So, I've, so we'll show, yeah, we'll show the shape. Side, of... it's on the other so side. anyway, I have a bottle of those two compounds in front of me. So these I'm are called carvones. That's carvone. So what's really interesting about these... So, so when you think about it, it's exactly the same atoms arranged in exactly the same way, right? Not but quite, though. But they're... Not quite, but they're mirror images of each yeah, other, yeah. right? So it's just as different as your left and your right hand. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting about some compounds, because our bodies are chiral, right? The mm -hmm. way we interact, the way our body perceives and interacts with certain compounds, the very famous example is thalidomide. So thalidomide, uh, which led to a lot of mutagenesis uh, in pregnant women... Was done so because one of the one of the ice that was called the enantiomers or the or the uh, chiral products of um, uh, of uh, thalidomide is actually a very potent um, uh, pain reliever. Um, so actually they used it for pain relief. But, but it wasn't used. It was used for morning sickness, wasn't it? Yeah. It was an it was an antiemetic. Yeah. Um, so, um, but anyway, the, because our body is chiral, the way we perceive them is different. So these things smell different. Oh, that is pretty cool. So I've got in here. Oh, this will be fun! I've got two. I've got bottles I of love, chemicals. You know, I I love sniffing things. I know you do. Is this like going to smell like Tipex remover? 
because I used to smell that at the back so of I've got here, chemistry. We're gonna. I'm gonna do. Uh, let's do. Let's do carbone first. So Steve's just pulled out the box. He, um, they are th- four bottles. They're brown bottles with labels with sort of look like a series of hazardous symbols on them, which doesn't fill me with confidence. It's fine. And a red top. Yeah. Have you done a risk assessment? For I've this done a risk assessment. On he this. hasn't done a risk. Assessment I have. I read the I read the, the materials. There's no way that he's done a risk assessment. For <laughs> I've kind of thought about it a bit. Anyway, you'll have to um, do one in retrospect. So, yeah. Exactly. Hold on. I've got to get this the right way around. Right. So Steve's sniffing them there. So this what, is going to be cool. Right, I can't so, wait to smell these. So I'm going to get. So I'm going to give you these. So I'm giving you the. <laughs> I'm going to give you the blue one. Uh, the blue one, meaning this blue molecule that you've yeah. done a little shape of. This is cool. So this, the molecule. I'm. I'm assuming that each node is a carbon here. Is That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They're all carbon. So it's like a kind of um, benzene ring, with like a C. Well, that's that can't be carbon that one there what's that nitrogen that's, that's but there's supposed to be two carbon so there's a double bond here oh uh, right 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 okay yeah um sorry for the technical discussion sorry sorry, sorry. trying to work it out but um it's a car it's just a very simple molecule cyclic molecule with a thing sticking out of it right so i'm gonna hand you that i'm gonna hand you this first have a little smell of this okay all right i'm gonna sniff it so i'm bringing this bottle to my lips it smells very strongly of mint Mint. Any yeah, spearmint. Kind of? Exactly right. Mm. Spearmint, right? Mm. That's amazing. So that that's where the smell of spearmint comes. Yeah. So now so that now. is crazy. That is exactly like I want to. You know, like when you have soft mints. Yeah. I want to eat a soft mint now. If I if I tasted that, would it be bad for me? Yeah. Don't don't. You, yeah, you actually probably could taste the other one, but you can't taste this one. Uh, so now I'm going to give you another one. Yeah. This is the. So this is exactly the same. This is like smelling your right and then smelling your left hand. Oh, this is amazing. Right. This is such a good idea, Steve. <laughs> so here we go. Here we go. That smells like spearmint. Smell this one again. There's a f- there's a subtly different smell. There they're quite similar. Right. Okay. So that's one. But the point is, is that they're oh exactly the same thing. But they right? smell. Different. They smell different. Yeah. Right? That is pretty cool. That's weird, right? That you can do. It. And so here, here's another one, right? So this one I've got lemonine, which is actually if you ever have um, any like lemon flavored um, like this, this disinfectant, and also this is quite yeah, often well, in um, mosquito repellent. It's also in that. that. It's also um, uh, if you have um, a lot of perfumes, this is in. So I've got the left and right-handed form. One of these is isolated from the skin of lemons, mm-hmm. and one of them is isolated from the skin of oranges, right? So. So you're saying that lemons have a an antimere of the thing that's in oranges? Lemony. Whoa, really? That is cool. So smell this. Okay. All right. Whoa, geez. That's kind of quite a disgusting lemon smell. It's like very chemically lemon smell. Right. So that's uh, again, right? So that's the L um, isomer. So now, now you're looking at the the um, the other one. I mean, that is totally different. And that does have more of an orange tang to it. Sometimes people say it smells like turpentine. That's the other thing some quite often say. Slightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of yeah. There's a sort of I'm imagine. Yeah, I can imagine I'm yeah. in the woods and exactly. I'm in sort of yeah, it's yeah. like a pine so tree. This, this is this is made in the skin of oranges and mm. this is made in the skin of lemons and they're exactly the same thing, but they smell different. It's weird, isn't, isn't it? Isn't that weird? Crazy. Very cool. Anyway, yeah. so that's so that's chirality, the kind of handedness of molecules. I think there's a big mystery, isn't there? Why most things are right-handed, so. In, yeah, in, like all glucose is D-glucose, it's produced yeah. naturally, yeah. and L-glucose is not. I don't think occurs uh, or rarely occurs naturally. Yeah. But you wonder why. 
why did why is biology learnt to deal with one handedness and not the other? Well, that's obviously not true in the case of the limonene because I mean, yes. Yeah, so, so all it, it really all it really means is to f- for a, so for a molecule to be chiral. It basically yeah. means that uh, one, so generally it means that one of the carbon atoms has four different things attached to it. So mm. in the case of this molecule, so in the molecule I just made out for you here, this molecule has four different um, things that are attached to it, yeah. right? And that's the chiral carbon, and that's what that's the origin of the of the um, uh, of the difference in those yeah, things is yeah. being able to define those four different things. Well, thanks for that, Steve. That's a really interesting um, experiment you've shown and me. Maybe we can't do this through Twitter, can we? Can people get an app on their phone when they scratch it and it'll smell? <laughs> is that I don't, possible? I don't think so, no. <laughs> but it, if we... Um, Maybe we should take those uh, around if we never do, uh, like, uh, the Science Shed on tour. could probably drop a bit on, you know, like one of those, um, you know, you get perfume in magazines and you rip it open and yeah. you smell it. You could probably do that with it. Yeah, Maybe so you could devise your own technique for making those things. Yeah. Do eliminate. That might be work really well. It's pretty cool. Anyway. It's interesting as well. So this is kind of an um, epilogue. Yeah. But, um, I mean, shape is everything in biology. Shape is totally everything. It's so, so deep. But what shape is a, so shape is what gives. Um, so I'm talking about shape in space yeah. and in time. So the way something is organized at a moment and the way that changes when time goes on is what gives an organism its ability to function, right? Yeah. So you are a shape two hands, two eyes, nose, mouth, Man. two legs. Yeah. One you can manipulate things around. Yeah. And, you know, you can alter your environment. That, better suits you have a cup of tea for instance yeah purely dependent on your shape in yeah. space and in time all of that information is encoded in the digital code of your dna yeah so the information is kind of like has no shape but it encodes shape in space and time so actually in biology shape is absolutely everything because you're saying the information because that shape information isn't stored well, yeah is. and actually when we're talking about these molecules here yeah so they have a shape. They do. And that is actually something which people think, actually, this is a very controversial area of biology. Do you like to see the chemical structure of limonene? I'll just show it to you here. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll tweak these. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- th- that also has a shape. So, yeah. And it's thought that the way in which we smell yeah. or we taste is based on the shape of a molecule. Yeah. So it engages with some... Exactly. This is this is this so is the, actually hang on. Yeah. This is actually extremely controversial because of the competing theories. And there is a there are there is a sub branch of biology. They think it's done by sort of I can't remember what it's called oh, it's scanning scanning tunneling mm, yeah, yeah. um quantum effects. Total rubbish in my well opinion. they tried what they tried to do to prove this was true or false was they made isotopes of molecules like that that had yeah. heavy atoms because if that is correct, then you should be able to detect changes in smell. Not just because of the chorality of them, but because right, so there's mass, like yeah. yeah, heavy water or heavy yeah. carbon in them. Yeah, the jury, as I understand it, is still out on that. But it's incredible that you can distinguish so many different shapes. I mean, and, even and these, these molecules. I mean, it's talk, like, do talk. you have in your nose? Do you have a specific receptor, receptor for every single thing? So a receptor, just to explain this in more detail, is just a shape. In your nose on a neuron, yeah, and a thing like so, it's a little thing like a little sensor, a little guy's waiting for something to come and dock into it to stick to it. So some of them, the the smell molecules, it's got a shape which is complementary to these things. So it's like you know, like you know, one of those kids things where you put a square block into a square hole and yeah, but a much more. So they kind of, if that's true for 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 smelling, then you need you need so many. You know, you've got to have millions of these different shapes in your nose. Yeah, and I don't think that. 
but it could, it could the be, evidence is well it could be a combination right your brain could be integrating different signals so they're all going to have partial um association constants for absolutely all of those yeah, so, yeah i mean so but i think the thing the, the simple way to think about it is that there's 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 these little receptors in your nose on on the surfaces of your neurons and some of those some of those the, the molecules the left and the right-handed form of that same molecule is binding differently and your brain's interpreting that in some way well, it so, has so, to bind differently, so, so actually yeah. so when some people smell those things so actually the, the first one that you couldn't smell a difference in much some people would say one of those straight, smells very strongly of caraway and some people say the other smells of spearmint. I don't know what caraway is. You know the caraway seed, like you get in yeah. like that kind of like. Fancy I don't think breads. many people will be able to say, "Oh, that smells of caraway." But the point they? is that you, uh, you, uh, but you said uh, they smell uh, the same. What does that smell of to you? Oh no, there's a hint of caraway about it. You know, it's very often come with caraway. Anything that's not like eating like meat from a stick, Nick thinks is some kind of hoity-toity. <laughs> but come on, Steve. No one knows what caraway smells they like. Do. Not many people. All right. Oh, I'll survey. I'll survey a bunch of people in the lab, and I'll All give right. you the answers. Oh, you can take it in and get them to smell it. See what they think. <laughs> anyway, yeah, left and right hands. Mm. Steve, have you ever felt like an imposter? <laughs> <laughs> Every day. So you've heard of imposter syndrome. Do, do you know what? I've got imposter syndrome on my list of, of things to talk to you about on the podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I've got here first. You totally have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, maybe we can do a mashup. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, yes, very much so. So um, imposter syndrome, for those that don't know, is this idea that you kind of everyone constantly feels that they're not kind of good enough to be where they are and everyone else is smarter than them and they've all got better ideas. And all yeah, it's ideas. fairly common, I think. Yeah. Um, not amongst psychopaths, no. But amongst people who normals, yeah, people who are successful and have a very strong feeling that they really don't understand how they've. That people people don't see them for what they really are, like which that, is like some the, shyster. Yeah, like that. Any <laughs> one point, someone's going to put like the hand on the shoulder and be, "Hang on a second, how did you get in? Get out!" You know. Yeah. No, I, I think it's it's super common. I think it's totally normal. I think if you didn't feel that, that you would. Uh, it would be there'd be something like slightly wrong with you. You'd be a bit of sociopath or something, right? Like, yeah, nice. yeah. Well, there's an so I I I, can't, I was thinking about this the other day, and yeah. it's actually how what much I, you're, you're a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> don't think I'm a sociopath. I think I'm a sociopath. But then they wouldn't, would they? That's the point. Use this podcast. <laughs> tread on his head later, and then rub his face in the dirt to achieve my aims world domination no i'm not a psychopath okay fine but i'm not talking about it's a different type of imposter syndrome i want to talk about i just okay. use that as a hook but basically have you heard of a condition where you think that someone you know has been replaced by a doppelganger no i've never have heard, you of heard that. about this no i've never heard of this it's a really interesting story and it's um it's quite rare yeah and it's something that neurologists have noticed it's a chap called capgra Capgras. The Capgras syndrome. Or Capgras how, do you, how do you spell that? So it's spelled C-A-P-G-R-A-S. And it's okay. after the French... Um, I think he was a um, psychiatrist, or the equivalent in the early 20th century, Yeah. who first kind of um, documented it. And basically, people who present with this, they have a very... They, they're generally outwardly normal, but they have a very strong feeling that someone very close to them has been replaced by an identical doppelganger. So like their, I don't know, their mother or their wife or something. Exactly. So, I mean, there, there are many examples of this. So why, 
okay, is this after trauma or something? Yeah. You know, it in, can be in after my, trauma. In my kind of Mickey Mouse kind of done like a Tom and Jerry view of neurology. That's you get hit on the head with a hammer and then you forget stuff. <laughs> right? I think that's pretty much spot on. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an expert myself on it, but I, that's the way that I've understood it. And right. it can also be related to other conditions such uh-huh. as schizophrenia. Yeah, but. Um, and it's not fully understood. Let's be from the outset. Let's be quite frank about it. But there's good yeah. evidence to suggest that we do know what may cause it. Okay. So yeah. going back to the situation before, you've got someone who may have had a trauma. They may have had a neurological condition which has caused some pathology in the brain. Right. And one day they're talking to their mother, and they they become convinced that you know you're not my my mother yeah. you know you're not she, like the person she used this to have morning two sugars in her tea yeah you're not like yeah. the person this morning who cooked the, the dinner they cooked me this morning was much nicer right their breakfast was much nicer than the dinner you've cooked me you're an imposter okay so they become very committed they, they're outwardly rational people but they have this very strong urge and they'll swell swear by it they swear they're correct that right. they're any someone close to them has been replaced by an Im- imposter but surely these people are marginalized like like at some point someone's got to think you're, you're a bit nuts actually, yeah yeah i think so that. yeah yeah and i think that's why they end up seeing psychiatrists basically. probably yeah, yeah but the the basic reason why it's thought that people behave in this way is because yeah. they've had when you when you see something mm. there are different ways in which you recognize something and it means something to you what and often mean? it comes to what do you mean? Okay, so when when you look around a room, yeah, all right, all right, you get some information about someone, but it's very difficult. If you didn't have knowledge about what a person should look like, it'd be very difficult to interpret me looking at your head as being separate from the background behind it, for instance. Fine. So you pick out features, and it's based on your knowledge, yeah, uh, of the world. Fair enough. Okay, and you know that um, an object is a certain distance away from you because of. You've got a certain distance between your eyes. And your brain's computing. The it knows that distance and it knows the approximate size of the object. Yeah. But there's no reason to suspect, to, to think that it can't be like something that's a million times bigger, a million but, times but, further away. Yeah, which is how like, you know, a lot of optical illusions work. And exactly. Kind of yeah. yeah. So your brain has been conditioned to kind of work. Except patterns. Except patterns and to yeah. make shortcuts and things like that. When you see things which are in your environment, yeah. you as an organism have a an advantage of being able to understand them and like you know if you're a hunter you see an, an antelope yeah you'll know the antelope will mean Come, food to it's you it's a very common it's got a value yeah. yeah it's not not a day goes by that i don't see an antelope <laughs> galloping through the undergrowth well let me bring it yeah. closer to home okay okay when i'm in a cd shop or a record shop and you see a if rush i see album, a rush just record a, just a corner just a corner of it <laughs> i'm immediately that's Anadu. That's, I know yeah, yeah yeah i'm immediately switched on i know <laughs> right. what i've seen so right. do you get it right yeah you, you notice something so well, you're you some may pre-pro- be in the kitchen you're kind of pre-programmed to 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 for certain triggers yeah a mars bar feels valuable do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Certain things now, which meant something to me in the past, football stickers. Yeah. If I see a football sticker, I can't help thinking it's got a value. A tiny plastic toy <laughs> from a cereal packet. I'm thinking, yeah. oh my God, look at that. We could get the whole lot. All of them, <laughs> including the ones. I could finally complete the, the, the chipmunk set I never <laughs> It was a really good example. I was watching David Gorman's Google Wax. Love that. Yeah, yeah. When he's talking about a guy who became interested in collecting photographs, women with dogs. Oh, yeah. And he just found another one one day yeah. and because he sort of noted the first one it be, it he be, became, it became a collector a, yeah. compo- right. anyway okay i'm going off track here but anyway okay. you 
I get it. Certain things have significance to you, and you have a program Wh- in you which to recognise the significant like, If you were just a kind of computer algorithm or something, yeah. you, w- it w- you wouldn't trigger, trigger that idea that you saw Xanadu no. in the corner of a CD. Not shop. unless you built yeah. something else in it. Right. So the way it works in your brain, you've got different regions. Um, in, in your temporal lobe, that's kind of where vision is, yeah. is transduced. So you've got, you're able to to see and understand what something is okay. at a purely kind of... Um, physical level so that that would be the webcam picture kind exactly of right, yeah, yeah yeah but you've also got connections to the other parts of your brain mm. it's sort of uh, in particular the amygdala, amygdala and yeah. the limbic system which give you an, um, a kind of emotional autonomic response right so one is kind of and this, so what, this so is that's where it becomes why, that's why i cry when uh, the, when arnie dies at the end of terminator 2 and he puts his little thumb up i suppose you say but that's sort of the situation i'm talking about sort of instantaneous recognition or something okay. so you may feel like that when you see the thumb yeah oh, fair so, enough. So yeah there you go but you get an autonomic response which is kind of your reaction okay and it can be emotional yeah and then you've got another part, which is just a sort of logical deduction yeah. about what something is. And the two are kind of separate, right? So cool. basically what, they th- what it's thought, what, what science thinks happens in these cases is that when you get brain damage, okay. you get a damage between the connections, between <sighs> the sort of the logical recognition part and the emotional response. So when this person sees someone who's identical to their mother, they yeah. can understand that this person has the physical characteristics of the mother. But because they don't get the corresponding autonomic emotional response, it doesn't feel like their mother. So it would be like me watching The End of Terminator 2 and not wanting to cry. Exactly. You'd watch and you'd think, whoa, that's not well, touching me. This not, can't normally, be the real Normally Terminator. I cry at this, this point. Is not the, this is or not like the real... Or like when Goose dies in Top Gun. <laughs> I'd be any, I just didn't care. I'd be like, well, this must be a remake of Top yeah. Gun. It can't possibly be the same. But it can also happen to... Um, to inanimate objects as well right so like um people with these types of brain damage they can see that they can be in their house and what they'll think has happened is their house has been replaced by an exact replica of the house so they, they, this is where you can see where paranoia comes yeah, into this yeah, yeah. you think that the world has been engineered yeah, basically, yeah kind you, of become, exactly yeah. and it's because you have these different levels of recognition and you have this emotional but that's interesting response. so you're saying it's the kind of interconnection between those two areas of the brain rather than the brain themselves it's not like that bit's broken it's actually how those bits communicate with each yeah, other yeah and uh, you, these are these are hypotheses at the right. moment it's very difficult this is this is an interesting thing about neuroscience in general right okay when you're talking about very things which are very human it's very difficult often in biology you'll do an experiment in, a, in an animal model like for instance you might want to find out whether something makes a bone heal better yeah you'll make a, a fracture in a mouse bone and you'll see how well it heals it's difficult to do that in, in animals when you're talking about complex human emotions because they're not you know a mouse can't really tell you very easily how it's feeling whereas a person can document it so you can't do the experiments so a lot of neuroscience and and psychiatry research is based on observational studies so you see someone and that gives you clues so this is why it's a little more um uh, it's a little more hazy Mm. but it's reasonable to assume we know we have these different regions and we know from when you see damage to people um in these parts of the brain they behave in a different way so then you can infer that you have these regions which are emotional and autonomic. And it, actually, you can measure autonomic response, like right. that's a, what a lie detector measures. It's galvanic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the conductivity it's of your skin. skin. So you can test someone with pictures, you know, mm. and you can you can see whether they get an autonomic response. So they could, this show, is how they you could get... show me lots of different thumbs up, and I wouldn't have an automated response. <laughs> but, when, but when I see Arnie's thumb going down into the vat, yeah. a little tear comes out. A famous example. A little is, cry. A famous example, by the way, is it in Blade Runner. 
So when right. they test the replicants, yes. you remember the response? Yeah. So if it's people the, haven't the seen it, dilation. you'll see it's a new version of Blade Runner coming out. You yeah. watch the old one, that they test whether someone's human or not by describing um, scenes of brutality. Yeah. And a human person, someone who has a human response, an autom- autonomic response, will behave with a widening of the pupils or start to sweat or something. Whereas the replicants, these sort of false humans in Blade Runner, they don't. So that was the way they distinguished them. So you, this, this is kind of the story here. Yeah. Spoiler well, alert. I want to. F- I want to <laughs> flip. I want to flip it around. Okay. All right. What's this got to do with um, religious rapture, religious epiphany? What's this got to do? So you're saying, okay, so I suppose what you're saying on one level, you can have these instances where people kind of are kind of rational and then something occurs to them and then there's some some kind of level of irrationality that wouldn't have been ascribed previously. So I suppose I suppose what you're saying is the opposite could be true, is that somebody, that something could occur and several, some people can be have, have a massive uh, emotional response to something that previously they didn't. Yeah, absolutely. So you're spot on, Steve. So imagine... <laughs> um, imagine This psychology <laughs> malarkey is a piece of piss. <laughs> It's it, to me these types of things. They seem a little bit too simple. So I think there's yeah, layers of, of complexity course. on top of this. But basically, talking about the person <laughs> yeah. who's got the imposter syndrome, they see something and they don't get any emotional response from it. Yeah. So they assume that that thing is not the real. It's not. But imagine if you had an overstimulation. So imagine if I looked at this mug. Yeah. And I got this amazing, overwhelming emotional response, yeah. like you do when you see the thumb at the end of Terminator. Yeah. And imagine if you look at everything in your environment and you get the same thing. Right. Everything would suddenly have this be, deep, be, be numinous, deep, deep, meaningful. Yeah. You'd have be this numinous. meaning. And there is an idea that maybe some people, when they have these, relig- you know, these r- rapturous experiences, yeah. that they're related to overstimulation of the limbic system for some reason. Now, this has been partially disproven. Right. So it may not be the whole story, but it's um, interesting to think about. That's People think Van Gogh may have had... Van Gogh had temporal lobe epilepsy, they think. Right. And temporal lobe epilepsy is one condition where you do get overstimulation. Because when you get the Does fit, that mean we could artificially stimulate? Though? Like, could we, could we encourage, uh, like, religious... It's been epiphanies? done. It's ah, been done using... Um, um, headsets and i think what they did was it's um, been done using ecstasy every friday night in <laughs> manchester in the 90s <laughs> that's a different way of doing the same thing Science shed is over. Oh no! Did you like the smelly one? Sorry, the I, smelly. Was, I didn't think you heard that. No, the smell. I brought in the smells. Oh, the, right. oh the sorry. Chi- yes. The chiral compounds. Um, I did like the smells, the spearmint. Yeah. And the um, caraway. Caraway. That you don't, can't smell. <laughs> you don't know what caraway Isn't smells like. Isn't that like a large bird in Australia? No. Flightless bird. No, that's a, a mm, cassowary. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, that was it was great, Steve. I enjoyed that. It was a really good experience, and um, I think maybe there may be other examples of that sort of thing out. Maybe people would like to contact us and let us know if they know of any examples. That would be good, yeah. Um, if they morality in the world, the best way to contact us is via Twitter. Um, I'm at Steve the Chemist, and I'm at the Evans Lab. And you can you can tweet the Science Shed directly, which is at the Science Shed. And if you want to send us an email, if you don't want other people to see it, yeah, you can send us an email in the Science Shed at gmail.com. Or you could PM us on Twitter. 
Yeah, either but they have to be fr- our friends to do a PM. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay, we'll be friends with us then. Yeah, friend us. <laughs> we'll friend <laughs> we're you very back. friendly. And we're very influential. Both Steve and I. Are have, you, have you noticed how influential people tell you they're influential? <laughs> That's very common. Guys, Steve could help you get ahead. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bye. See you soon.